podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Boys and girls, children of all ages, EPL Index proudly brings to you the best prediction podcast in the world, a tad predictable, with your host, Tariwa Chanakira, and his guest, Riley Finch. It's game week three, and you know what that means, it's time for another brand new episode of A Tad Predictable He's no longer a young sports journalist. He is a sports journalist. Riley Finch. Congratulations, Riley, on the new gig. And welcome back to a brand new season of the Premier League. Thank you, mate. I'm uh, very excited about the uh, the new season. Like you say, it's good to have got the official title now. I'm not just the uh, trainee sports journalist, <laughs> official sports journalist. So it'd be nice to make some, uh, make some moves in that sort of field. And uh, I think, like I said, things are quite different since when we last spoke, which was, I think, towards the back end of last season. Uh, obviously, first appearance for the new season. And uh, yeah, very excited, mate. You've got some uh, good game weeks coming up. Yeah, really, really fun games. Um, obviously, as well, beginning of the season, depending on how the summer has gone, teams are either looking optimistically towards the season or sort of dreading the season. Um, it's a mixed bag for Chelsea, I'd imagine, because based on just their transfer window and we're going to head straight into the fixtures here because Chelsea versus Luton is our first fixture and if you look at on paper and you're playing football manager I don't even think Mm. you would you would do something as as audacious as Chelsea have done this offseason but at the moment on the field a draw and a loss uh, it hasn't started the way that they would have hoped to start but they come up against a team in Luton, and I hope I'm not being disrespectful in saying this is a game Chelsea are looking to sort of get their season back on form, try and, you know, iron out some of those problems that they've been having. And then from a Luton perspective, I mean, for me personally, I'm thinking match fitness is an issue. Um, mm. They've only played the one game. It, it was weird. Burnley didn't agree to, to sort of reverse the fixtures. Um just to, you know, at least make sure that you're playing games week in, week out at the moment, which I think is quite important to get everyone going. But yeah, can you see anything other than a Chelsea win in this one or can Luton do something really, really brilliant? Well, I mean, you've you've got two teams at different ends of the spectrum, you know, like Luton barely have enough money to get their stadium up to the scratch of a Premier League stadium and Chelsea are just splashing cash wherever they can, you know, and it's... um it almost does feel like the storyline is going to be Luton beat Giants Chelsea. That's kind of what I'm thinking in my head. You know, can they pull an upset? But, you know, I've watched Chelsea against Liverpool and I watched them against uh, my club West Ham, of course. And I thought they played quite well. I think the, um, I mean, obviously you're going to get the media speculating about all of their players. And of course, with the amount of money they've spent, people will, you know, automatically assume that they're going to get instant success. But that's never the case, is it? You know, no matter how, 
many good individuals you buy, you need to get them into an actual team, you know. So I think it's going to take time. But uh, with the with the players they've got at the moment, I think Chelsea of last season probably would beat Luton. So it's really hard to look past there being anything but a Chelsea sort of win. And also, I think the biggest asset for them is Nicholas Jackson. I think he was absolutely brilliant against West Ham. And, you know, if he just gets a bit more composure in that finishing product, obviously we love to sit deep, looting a bit more of a counter-attacking side, so that might play into their sort of favour. Uh, after such a difficult debut, will they start Caicedo in this game? You know, that, that's, that's going to be a big question mark. And I think Raheem Sterling as well looks like he's back to his best. So, yeah, I, I can't really see much else but a Chelsea win. I think Pochettino will demand a lot of his players. You know, they've got one point in two games, which, let's be honest, I, I don't think there's too much disrespect in losing to West Ham. I know they finished 14th last season, but, you know, they, they've bought well and realistically they shouldn't have been in that position last season. You know, we see it as a bit of a blip. And obviously they drew with Liverpool as well. So I don't think they're having as bad a season as, as people are sort of making out. Uh, and I think that against Luton, they should be getting a pretty commanding victory, to be honest. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And hopefully your Jackson prophecy comes to fruition because I've got him in my fantasy team. I brought him in after the issues of João Pedro being uh, benched last week. So I've, I've brought Jackson and I'm hoping. And it does look like he's got everything uh, in his game. I think I saw someone mm. tweeting... If, if you're going to build a striker in a lab, uh, in a lab, you probably get quite close to, to Jackson. He's got the pace. He's yeah. strong enough. He can hold the ball up. He can run in behind. And as you say, with the, with people like Sterling getting back to what they were, you know, in previous seasons, they're going to create chances for him. So yeah, I've, I've gone two nil to Chelsea. I haven't gone too big a scoreline. I, I do think they still have some issues they need to iron out, but I mean, even Chilwell, he's basically playing like a left winger at the moment. I can't mm. not see them creating enough chances to to get a couple of goals in this one. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you mention your FPL, mate, because I have put a few Chelsea players in there for the Luton game with that in mind. Uh, I, I thought actually Chelsea play a lot better than they did against West Ham. So, you know, it was bittersweet to see Chilwell lose his clean sheet bonus and see three goals. Uh, but obviously, I'll always I'll always take that over some FPL points. But uh, I, I I think Chelsea will still concede because. I think Luton have a point to prove. Uh, obviously, they've had a tough start to the season uh, playing against Brighton, who are so energetic and up for it. And like you say, fitness issues might be the, uh, like an issue in the game. But I think they'll probably nip, nip a goal somewhere. Uh, but I do think Chelsea will win. So, yeah, I'm going for a 3-1 on that one. And that would be music to Chelsea fans' ears. Let's see if you're as kind to another London-based team. Uh, obviously, you support a London-based team. So you've given one mm. a win. Are you going to give Tottenham a win here? They travel to Bournemouth. Um, Bournemouth have been surprisingly impressive. I mean, they've brought in a new coach who seems to love this underdog story of, of making teams that you would expect to sort of sit back and, and hope for the best. To be a bit more adventurous, press high, try and, you know, get in the faces of teams. It might burn them a couple of times this season, but it's certainly mm. going to make their games exciting. I thought against Liverpool, they should have at least been 1-0 up or 2-0 up um, early in the game. Liverpool just looked a mess, uh, but Brighton were trying to capitalise. Did I mean, Bournemouth were trying to capitalise, didn't quite get the goal that I thought they should have got to just make the game sort of... Um, a little bit out of Liverpool's reach and, and have them stretch for it a little bit. Probably would have been disappointed when Liverpool went down to 10 men not to take advantage of that, but um, it, it is what it is. And and then 
for Tottenham, Ange Ball, Ange Ball, um, it seems like the good vibes are back. Certainly from the fans' perspective, they seemed, I, I saw countless videos of just Tottenham fans bouncing in the stadium at half time during the game. After the game, they just seem a happy bunch at the moment. Are you getting that sort of vibe from Tottenham? Uh, no, I definitely am, to be fair. I think having lost Harry Kane, you would have thought maybe they're going to a bit of a slump. Uh, I still don't think Richarlison's the player that they need to replace him. I think they need to get a striker before the end of the window. Uh, they, they have bought quite well. And I think hopefully maybe Son will sort of, with the armband, will maybe pick up where he left off uh from the previous season. So obviously last year, I, th- I think he played it his best. Uh, I think Tottenham have the award for the most difficult to pronounce coach in the league <laughs> in Poster Coglu, if that's even how you pronounce it, to be fair. Um, but I think Bournemouth on the, on the flip side, they're probably having quietly and very quietly the, one of the best windows in the transfer window this year. I mean, they've bought really smartly with Justin Cliver, uh, getting Tyler Adams in as well. I think they bought really, really smartly this window. Alex Scott and, is my favourite signing from them. Oh, yeah, Alex Scott for sure. I think he's, I mean, their midfield is just not, I mean, Billing, Scott and uh, Tyler Adams, that is a very good midfield, a very good midfield. And I think people need to not sleep on Bournemouth this year. I actually think they'll comfortably stay up this year, to be honest, with the way they're playing, the the switch to maybe a bit more possession-based football, how they're going to orchestrate that against the bigger teams. I'm not entirely sure. Like they tried to do against Liverpool, we didn't really work out too well. Um, like you said, they, they probably should have, their, their issue is that where are the goals going to come from? You know, if you've got possession, you've got control of the ball, you know, can you get someone at the end of it to actually score? And I don't think Solanke is that 10, 15 goal a season striker. So I'd be looking to get a striker if I was them. Um, and in terms of the game, I think, you know, Bournemouth, if Bournemouth went down this season, I don't think people would be too surprised. I think they've got, you know, the world is their oyster at the moment. They can play the, the way they want to play. And if they get relegated, they get relegated. And if they do well, they do well. So there's not too much pressure, I don't think, on their shoulders. Whereas with Tottenham, after having no European football last year, after losing Harry Kane, you know, you kind of feel like this season, if they don't kick it up a gear and play the way they need to play, it's sort of like well, we've gone for another manager. We've gone through more players, more money. We're still not performing at the level we need to. Like things are getting really, really tight around them. But like you say, they, they do look like they're playing well. I think United were very lacklustre and, and made Tottenham look a lot better than they actually were when they played them. Uh, no disrespect to Tottenham, though. I do think they played quite well. Uh, but I'm actually going, I think, for a draw here. I think people are going to overlook Bournemouth. You know, happy times at Spurs, obviously. But I think Bournemouth have played very well against Liverpool, very well against West Ham. And I think being at home again, they're going to try and emulate that. Like I said, my big worry is where are the goals going to come from? But I think they'll only need one of them. So I'm going for a 1-1 draw. Yeah, I think that's a fair scoreline. And especially if, you know, Spurs are sweating on the fitness of James Madison and at time of recording, you know, the, the latest we have is that he left with a, you know, in, in, in a moon boot and on crutches for the mm-hmm. game last time out. And, you know, then there's the murmurs of it could be an MCL sprain of some kind where he could be back for the weekend, but they might not rush him and, and sort of risk him. Uh, re-aggravating that injury. So if he's not in there, you have to wonder where, you know, how much of the creativity gets diminished for Spurs and, and it could be interesting to see how, um, Ange gets the team going from that perspective. But I, I think this game is going to be good for Bournemouth because the biggest issue for Spurs early on is going to be transition defense. With the new system, it's one of the hardest things to figure out is where where am I meant to be as soon as we lose the ball? 
And Bournemouth seem to be looking to capitalize on that situation. A couple of the goals that they have scored have been in transition. So I think that favors them. I'm, 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 I've been tossing and turning between mm. a, a draw. I like the one, one shot that you made. Uh, if Madison plays I, and I, maybe he comes back in for it. I do think. The fact that Bournemouth are going to be limited to the amount of goals that they can get. I'm going to lean a 2-1 to Tottenham. Um, mm-hmm. I've kind of made a, um, a friendly bet with someone that Richarlison's going to get fifth, at least 15 goals this season. Um, in all competitions, in all competitions. Um, and they've said he's going to get eight and we basically, yeah. whoever gets closest in their prediction, uh, wins that bet. Um, Do offside so, goals count? Or are you <laughs> I, I, I'll read the small print. I might, I might have <laughs> added something in there. Um, but yeah, th- so we'll, we'll see how that goes. And Richarlison, if he starts firing now, it, it probably eases the worries for, for Ange in terms of having to bring a striker in. I know Gift, um, is, is one of the strikers that they're looking at, whether or not they pull it off. It seems they need to sell players before they can bring him in. Mm. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that, but let's move on to, I guess this is just a theme of London clubs because it's Arsenal versus Fulham, a London derby. Arsenal, last time out, played Crystal Palace, another club in London. Yep. Um, they went down to 10 men, but still managed to hang on and get the result. I wasn't overly impressed with Arsenal in this game, but look, Salas Park in the evening is a tough game for any team. Um, and I'd know that all too well, you know, being a Liverpool fan, we, we've suffered many a late night defeats to them. One of them probably costing us a league title. Um, Fulham, look, you, you, you go into the game against Brentford, you lose during that weekend as well. You hear that you're losing Mitrovic. Obviously it's, it's a sale. So you're getting money in, but it seems like the, the, the surprise season that Fulham had last season and which sort of towards the end started to tail off. Um, it seems like they've brought that into this season. They don't seem as fired up as they were when they started last season. They've just lost arguably their key player in Mitrovic. I don't know if they're going to be able to replace him with a player that's going to produce at the same level that he was producing. So I'm, I'm very worried about Fulham and obviously Arsenal at home. Saka plays a lot better at home than he does away from home. The numbers certainly say that. I'm, I'm expecting Arsenal to to go and win this one. I've got 3-0 to Arsenal. I, I think they're going to try and put on a performance for for the Emirates. Yeah, I mean, you know, one interesting thing I think to talk about is that we've had six red cards in the season already. Mm. Uh, we're two, two game weeks in, five of which come in in the last game week as well. Um, I think... That I mean, both clubs, to be fair, are without a player because of red cards. I think that must come into managers' mindsets. It must come into their game plan. I think it's really going to be really interesting to see this season um, whether we see maybe less challenges getting put in, uh, whether we see managers, if players are on a yellow card, like, you know, hook them off really, really early. So that'll be very interesting to see. But, you know, like you say, I do agree with you. Um, Raul Jimenez is not the player he used to be. I don't think he's going to emulate what Mitrovic can emulate in the Premier League. Um, defensively, I think they're very weak. Uh, I'm someone who firsthand knows the uh, tomfoolery of Issa Diop, and it's not <laughs> someone that I would personally uh, sort of bet against when it comes to an Arsenal front line. 
Uh, I don't really know what's going on with Gabriel at the moment at Arsenal. That that's like you know, we talked about FBL a lot this this um, episode, but to be fair, that has definitely harmed me a fair bit with Arteta for some reason just opting not to play him at all. And another thing that's harmed me as well is seeing Declan Rice in that Arsenal shirt. Oh. Um, yeah, which is which is I'm sure we'll talk about later on. But I think you know when they play at the Emirates, they play better. They like to have more of the ball. They like to you know show off. They like to showcase what they're about. Um, pretty unconvincing win I think against Palace like I don't think they didn't deserve to win it they had their chances and Ketia you know question marks coming over him is he going to be the man to lead them forward should they be putting someone like Trossard or maybe even Havertz obviously till Jesus is back we're not really sure exactly how Arsenal are going to be able to finish their chances if not through one of those players but I, I'm with you I think that Fulham are again, again going to get run over a little bit uh, they're lucky they got Burnt Leonard in goal because if not I think their goal is going to be even worse than it is currently um, and I'm I'm also going for a three nil Arsenal victory. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. And you meant yeah, you mentioned the cards thing. I I do. My only hope, right, is that they're consistent and they stick to this rule now for the whole season because I do think in the long run it's probably going to help the game. Um, because teams are eventually going to know I can't waste time when I'm throwing the ball in. Because it's going to risk me getting a yellow and I'm not going to be able to make a tactical foul later in the game. I can't yeah. gesture at the ref to give someone a yellow card, although Arsenal got away with it this past, um, Monday. But, you know, stuff like that will become just common practice that you cannot do those things. And then the game will just carry on. Whereas at the beginning, now it's still instinctive in the players. As soon as I go down, I'm gesturing for someone to get a yellow. If we're under pressure, I'm going to take a bit more time to take a throw in. As I said, if if they're consistent and they just stick with this rule for however long it takes for it to become normal for the players to to adjust to it, then I think we'll be fine in the long term. But let's just continue this theme of London clubs, um, or at least near London clubs. Brentford versus Crystal Palace. Look, a solid start to the season for Brentford. It's one of those teams where you're wondering, last season, you played well. Are you going to be able to continue it this season? Obviously, the, the, the big elephant in the room is not having Ivan Tony for the best part of six months. The interesting thing is that um, they're still getting good results. Um, whether or not people think, you know, it's a lot to do with the penalties that they're getting. And thank you, Mbwemo to continue this quasi FPL podcast that we're doing. Thank you to Mbwemo who, who sort of helped me this, this, this game week. Um, they're getting results. They're getting the job done. And guys, guys like Mbwemo, yes, they're scoring penalties, but if you look at the numbers, they're still creating a lot of chances. They're still looking attacking. They look quite solid defensively as well, which is promising for any team. I think they, they, they're going to be fine this season and they've certainly done a really good job of just quelling the fears of whether or not they're going to be able to cope without Ivan Tony. And then on the other side, Crystal Palace, they've lost their talisman in, in, in Zaha. That's obviously more a permanent, uh, loss for them rather than necessarily a ban. Eze stepped into that role to sort of be the, the key person in the team, the central point. They've looked lively. They've got a win and a loss. Obviously, that loss to Arsenal, I think they would have fancied to at least get something from the game, looking back at it. Um, I think they're going to be okay this season too. What, what do you make of this game and, and how do you see it going? Um, I mean, with, with Palace, I think that Hodgson is a bit of a ticking time bomb. I think eventually he will get sacked. Eventually things will just kind of flatten out and 
you know, at the end of the day, I think it was a very bold, bold call for them to to stick with him with the amount of managers that are out of practice at the moment. Um, I mean, he had a fairly easy, easy run towards the end of the season. Yes, they were playing good football. Yes, they were scoring goals. Would they have emulated that under Vieira? I mean, I don't know. I'd like to think so, to be honest. And I think eventually the new manager bounce and the, you know, the Hodgson football will kind of end and they will get a new manager in. And I'm, I'm wondering, trying to predict at what point in the season that's going to happen. I mean, they had an unconvincing 1-0 victory against Sheffield and then they lost 1-0 against Arsenal. So they scored one goal in two games. You know, against Sheffield, I'd be expecting maybe a couple more goals. Uh, I still don't think as well necessarily that they've, you know, got the players to account for the loss of Zaha as well. Um, and on the flip side, to be fair, I think Brentford, when it comes to January, is a very bold shout. I think they should be selling Ivan Tony. I think that if you've coped the whole season without him and you're playing good football, cash in on him. Cash in on him now when, you know, he's going to be potentially going off to Manchester United or Liverpool or Tottenham. And, you know, you can keep playing the season the same way. I highly doubt in Thomas Frank's mind, he's thinking, guys, let's just stick it out to January. And then when Ivan Tony comes in, we can be back to our best. He's going to want to get the best possible system, the best possible players in for the way he wants to play now. So there might not even be a room for Tony when it comes to them. And like you say, the the makeshift wingers of kind of Mbermo and Visa, you know, it's kind of strange. Yes, they're getting a lot of penalties, but they are creating chances. They're still playing on the counter-attack. They still look very, very dangerous got quite a balanced team and I think they've made some decent signings. Uh, Palace, I think, will need a couple more signings unless they want to be involved. Not in a relegation scrap, but in a, a 14th, 15th place sort of finish. So I, I'm putting Brentford down for a 2-0 win on this one. I don't think Palace are going to score. I don't think they're going to create enough chances. I'm very impressed by Eze. Um, whether they lose any key players towards the end of the window as well, that's going to be something to keep an eye on, I think. And yeah, in terms of those Palace fixtures that they have coming up, Obviously, the Brentford game away from home. They've got the Carabao Cup against Plymouth away. Then they play Wolves, who have been frisky, I think. Um, we'll obviously get to these teams and, and their games. They play Aston Villa away. Then Fulham at home. Obviously, a London derby. Man United away. Nottingham Forest at home. And Newcastle away. Then Tottenham. There are some tricky games. And they're going to mm. need to win the games that, on paper, they should be winning. Because some of those tough games, I don't know if they're going to be able to pull a result. I've gone 2-1 to Brentford in this one. I, I, I do think that Crystal Palace pull a goal in this one. I think Eze has looked lively and he's due a goal. Um, just purely on, 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 you know, regressing back to the mean. He, he's creating a lot. He's looking lively. He's taking quite a few shots. Um, I, I just think he's going to, he, he's due a goal and, and he'll get one in this one, but Brentford will still be able to see the game out and get their win. Let's move on to Everton versus Wolves. Now, do, do you want to take the lead on this one? Um, it's, it's been an interesting season for, for, for both teams, I'd say. Mm. Would, would we call this a relegation six pointer this early <laughs> into the season? I wonder. I mean, you uh, might as Everton. well. You might as well. I've, yeah, I've I mean, predicted. I've predicted that Wolves go down this season. Um, in our yeah. reckless predictions. So, I mean, look, I I was thinking that at the start of the season because I think I think a lot of fans just don't want to keep you know predicting Everton to go down because they've survived it so many times. But on the flip side, you know, at what point is your luck going to run out? I mean, they haven't had a great transfer window. Uh, Calvert Lewin's injured. Uh, they brought in Dan Juma, who I think will probably add a little bit of a spark to them. Um. Uh, the big areas of the pitch where they needed improvement, which is, you know, defensively, they haven't really added too much, have they? I mean, they lost Jerry Mina as well, who I actually think is a is a really big rock at the back. 
Um, I don't see where the goals are coming from. I don't see where defensively they're going to be okay. They made they made it look so easy for Villa when they played against them. Don't, I love Villa. I think they're a very, very good side. They play exciting football. But some of the defensive errors they made were just completely schoolboy. And, and, you know, if you swapped Everton for, say, Luton and you watch Luton, they'd be like, oh, well, you know, you'd expect that, wouldn't you? It's a club who just come up from the championship. They're obviously not Prem level, but this is Everton Football Club. You know what I mean? So at what point are we going to start taking Everton unseriously? You know, at what point are we going to say, you know, legacy is nothing? At one point, you know, you, you can play as many football games as you want, but last season is last season. Now it's this season. We've got to look at it freshly. And I don't know whether this season we might have to start considering that Everton are basically doomed for relegation at this point. I mean, I saw I saw more out of Wolves in the game in which they play against United, which they should have got a point, you know, penalty regardless. I think Mateus Cunha absolutely run the show against them. But again, where are their goals going to come from? I think they've got a decent defensive stability, good midfield. Uh, I think they've got an exciting coach as well in O'Neill. So for me in this one, you know, I'm probably leaning more towards a Wolves win, but I think in an Everton standpoint, you just, you cannot allow yourself to lose this game. You know, that'll be three losses in a row. They're going to be bottom of the league if it happens. They absolutely cannot afford to lose this game. They really cannot. And I also think Everton do tend to play better at home. Uh, I know they lost to Fulham, but I actually thought they were okay against Fulham. Fulham kind of rode their luck on that one. So I think I'm going to have to go with a draw with this one because as much as I feel like Wolves are playing the better football, um, I just cannot see Everton allowing themselves to lose a home game against basically their other relegation rivals because I think people will discount Sheffield and Luton as already going down. So that's their main relegation rivals. That'll be three losses in a row, bottom of the table, goal difference horrendous. They absolutely cannot afford to lose this game. And I just don't think Sean Dyche or the Evertonian fans will allow that to happen. So I'm going to go for a 1-1 one, one draw. A 1-1 one, one draw in that one. Yeah, Um. The the problem for me with Everton is and you hate to see um, DCL coming on, starting, and then going off injured. It, it it's, must be so frustrating as a fan. But I tend to not feel sympathy for clubs who know things are going to happen and don't do anything to to to, to sort of sure themselves up. They yeah, know totally. Delver, um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is going to get injured at some point this season. You might not yeah. be able to predict when it is, but you know it's going to happen. So you should have a plan in place, a, a player that is going to start games when he's not playing. It doesn't seem like they've addressed that situation. Um, Wolves, yeah, as you mentioned, it's two teams that need a striker and refuse to buy a striker. So it's going to be interesting. I've gone with a 1-0 Wolves win purely because I, I, I just can't with Everton at the moment. I'm tired of them hanging on in the league. If they want to stay up, they should have done a lot more in this transfer window. They've just shown me with what they've done so far in this transfer window, that they're looking to go down, sort of refresh the club and try and get back up again, which is a dangerous yeah. gamble to make because clubs have tried that and not necessarily come back as quickly as they would have thought they would have sure. gone. But yeah, it, it just, because they've got so many players whose wages, they, they're just not able to offload unless they drop down to the championship. Um, so we'll we'll see how the season goes for them. But yeah, I've gone 1-0 to Wolves in that one. And as mm-hmm. you say, that will just compound things for, for Everton because it would pretty much guarantee them being bottom of the log, looking up at the rest of the league, trying to see a way to stay up um, with not much left in the transfer window. Although it doesn't seem like they're, they're being quite active in the transfer window. So yeah, worrying, worrying times for for, for Everton in, in this season. Let's discuss West Ham because we've got you here. 
I mean, we 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 have to. If if you're here, we we kind of have to. Um, you obviously disappointing season. Um, in mm. terms of league performances, but you could not have written a better story in Europe. You go on, you win the champion championship. Um, and obviously fans are saying this is our route to Champions League because we win Europa this year. And look, we, we, we're moving up to the Champions League. So it, it, it could be a really, really Cinderella story. If you guys mm. can make it to the Champions League without having to do it in the league, I think that could, that would be quite fun. Um, and, 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 just spice things up for the for for football but you head into the transfer window were you expecting much movement to take place um did you think maybe the 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 draw of being european champions having european football was going to affect the kind of players that you could bring in and and how do you sitting here now sort of two-ish weeks left of the window how can you how do how do you reflect on what's happened in the transfer window well, listen, I'm, I'm a West Ham fan. I've been a West Ham fan all my life and I'm not naive. I knew that we wouldn't have a replacement in for Declan Rice. I know a lot of people speculated that we should have done and obviously we should have done, but our approach in every transfer window, and this is why we do most of our business towards the back end of it, is we put out offers for numerous, numerous players. We see what deals we can get. That's why whenever we get reported on transfers, it's West Ham have shown an interest, West Ham have inquired. There's no bids, you know, we don't, we don't do a villa. You know, try and sign a player, sign him, and then the next day he's holding the shirt. We don't do that. We look at numerous targets. We put in bids for those targets. We then take a step back, put bids in for other targets, and look at who we want. You know, there's no sort of shortlist. There's no sort of this is my number one player. Let's get him. We don't get him. Okay, we'll go to my num- second number one player. You know what I mean? So there's none of that, um, which is why it takes us so long to get transfers over the line. Which is why, to be honest, halfway through the season, uh, the transfer window. Sorry, when. We're the only club to not sign a player. I'm one, I'm not worried because I know we're going to do business for the end. And two, it's just, it's just commonplace. But obviously losing Declan Rice is a massive, massive blow for us. Um, his replacement in Alvarez, I actually think will be not paper over the cracks, but I think he will do well enough to fill the void in that team that he has left. Obviously, like, like it's been said, you need two players to kind of replace Declan Rice because not only was he the defensive rock in front of the defense, he was also the driving force in that team. So you need a number eight who's going to be able to bring the ball forward and drive with it and a number six who's going to be able to sit in front of the defence and provide that stability. And I think we've got that with Alvarez and James Ward-Prowse. I think James Ward-Prowse, early shout, but hammer of the year and definitely our sign of the summer, um, is going to be so, so crucial to the way we play. We've set pieces. Obviously, we try and play sexy football, but under Moyes, it never pans out that way. It's a long lob ball up to Antonio, trying to drag ourselves up the pitch, trying to drag ourselves to get a chance. Um, unless you get a freak chance like we did against Chelsea where the ball gets lumped up to Antonio and he actually drives forward and scores, which again doesn't happen as often as people think it does just from watching the highlights. Uh, and I think he will be very, very crucial to allow us that opportunity where when we're not in a game, when we're struggling to create chances, we get that set piece which can give us that breathing room. We get that set piece where we've got that opportunity for him to either score from a free kick or a corner. Um, in terms of the players we brought in, like I said, I think Alvarez is a good sign-in. Ward-Prowse, I think he's brilliant value for money. As of recording this, just an hour ago, we signed Mavra Pranos from um, Stuttgart. Uh, good timing as well, because again, obviously just got a red card. I think Moyes wants to move to a back five. Obviously, we were linked with Maguire early in the window, and I actually wasn't too opposed against that. I think looking at the coming weeks of the window, I think we probably will sign Jesse Lingard, and it really pains me to say that. Uh, he's been training with the team. He'll probably get a short sort of contract through, and 
it will get extended. I know he obviously is a big fan of Moyes. Moyes, when he was maybe signing for Forest, I know was sitting up with a blanket next to the phone waiting for it to ring and Jesse <laughs> never rang. Um, Mohamed Kudus, that is a situation which I think if we do pull off, that for me is a brilliant transfer window. You've got someone who can play left wing, uh, can play that number 10 role, brilliant talent. Uh, I'm maybe a little hesitant to say that it's going to happen. Um, obviously, what happened with Harvey Barnes as well, that was really disappointing for us not to make a move for him. Uh, and I think as well, a striker is on the cards for West Ham after losing Skamaka. Um, luckily, we haven't lost Paqueta. And, and whether you look at that as a silver lining from the bet, betting allegations or whether it would have happened anyway, I don't think West Ham fans will care. And it's crucial that we keep him at the club and try and build a team around him. But I do think next year when the £85 million release clause is active, City will activate that and it'll be, you know, he'll leave. So I think it's important we get Kudus through the, over the, the, the line. I think it'd be good to get Jesse Lingard in just for some stability as much as my ego is completely against it. And it's not a transfer I like from the standpoint of a West Ham fan. From a footballing point of view, it makes complete sense for us to do it. And uh, obviously we're in for Nasiri of Sevilla, which I think will be a massive, massive signing for us if we get it over the line. Uh, Hugo Etikite or Akite or whatever his name is. I think he would be good on a loan uh, sort of move as well. Obviously we want to get maybe a more physical six foot two, six foot three striker to you know, blend in with the James Ward-Prowse idea of, guys, let's just win a corner. It's basically a penalty. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think we're doing okay transfer-wise. I still think the football is less to be desired, but, you know, as it did against Chelsea, it can get results. Um, and, you know, the interesting point for me is, are we going to, like you said, put all our eggs in the Europe basket or are we going to try and, you know, get our league form up to date and then, you know, try and emulate some form of, of Europe run? And I think David Moyes will want to get the Premier League sorted. He won't want people to think that, you know, we're going to be relegation candidates. I don't think his career can survive another one of that. You know, he's only on a one-year contract. You know, if we're finishing 14th or in a relegation scrap again, I don't think we'll survive that. So, all in all, happy with the transfers that are coming through. A couple more need to go over the line. And uh, I'm slightly optimistic about the season. But it's interesting. You see the the poll that was put out about the Hopo meter with West Ham at the very, very bottom this season. They were at the very, very bottom this season, done by Sky, of how much hope we've got for this season, which I'm actually quite surprised about. But, um, yeah, hopefully that increases in the uh, coming weeks. Interesting stuff there at West Ham. And a lot more is happening than, obviously, face value. Just looking at, maybe if you look at the BBC gossip columns or or if you look at how Sky is reporting on West Ham, it seems a lot more quiet. I think from the outside looking in, it seems like a lot of people are trying to create this narrative of panic because you guys haven't signed anyone. But this is mm. why I like having people like you on that actually know what's happening at the club because, you know, this is normal for West Ham. This is, you know, this is how you've done transfer windows uh, for a number of seasons now. Do you feel any worry for sort of the, the conflict of styles between um, Tim Steiden and, and Moyes? And do you think that, if results don't go the way Moyes wants them to go, that might give uh, Stuyton an excuse to get rid of him and bring someone maybe that sees football the way he does? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. I mean, you look at the targets that Stuyton introduces, you know, young, uh, you know, foreign-based players that are little gems that you take risks on, you know, sort of almost emulating like the Brighton model of, yeah, you might not spend a lot of money on them and yeah, they might not work out, but they could turn into these amazing, amazing players. Whereas, David Moyes and I do understand his stance because at the end of the day he's got one year essentially to convince the West Ham owners that you know he's going to be able to be the man for the job 
And in doing so, he's got to have results quick. He can't take another punt like he did last season and sign these foreign players that are going to come in and try and bed in, which is why he's gone for targets like Maguire, like McTominay, like Gallagher, you know, all these sorts of talent. And it, it is a shame because it's two very ostracising points of view. But in a sense, that's probably good, isn't it? Because you don't want Tim Starden to come in and, and say, oh, I reckon this player's good, Dave. And he's like, yeah, I actually agree. Yeah, I like that player. He's someone I've got in mind because otherwise, what's the point in having him at the club if he's just going to essentially agree on all the targets? You know, he, he should be there offering the other side of the other side of it, you know, saying oh, also, David, you know, I know you've got all these Premier League players, but here's a cheaper alternative that could could pan out. And I think, you know, with that in mind, hopefully that might look on the face of things as though things behind the scenes are bad. But, you know, it allows David Moyes a differing point of view, you know, it allows him to branch out. But I don't think his future at the club's very secure. So for me, if one is going to leave, it would probably be David Moyes. I can't imagine Sullivan bringing in Tim Stiden and then saying, well, listen, you don't get on with the manager, so we're going to get rid of you. It would be more like, oh, we need a manager who's going to buy into your sort of style and buy into what you want to go for. So if we're talking about which one's going to outlast the other, I think it will be Stiden. But it's clear to see that he's had his impact. You know, Alvarez and, and Mavropranos, those are two players that I think were highlighted by him and that he went personally out on an aeroplane to try and sort out. Um, Mohamed Kudus as well is one of his buyers. So the only one I would say that he's, you know, Moise has definitely had an insight on and a say on is uh, James Ward-Prowse. So it looks like they've kind of found their balance and Moise is going for his players and Stan is going for his, his players. And I think it will probably work out in the long run. But, you know, it, it has led, obviously, to a lot of media speculation. But I do think those things are blown out of proportion. Definitely, definitely. Um, let's move on in terms of the fixtures for this game week. We've got Harry Maguire's club. I don't even know if there's still his club. I, I don't know what the situation is with, with him there. But Man United versus Nottingham Forest. Now, obviously, the, there's been you know, th- things outside of and, and, and outside the football pitch that have been happening at Man United with the Mason Greenwood thing. Um, I don't necessarily want to go too deep into that because quite frankly, we don't have the time to actually maybe give our proper opinions. And, and, you know, whenever you talk about something, you want to at least give all of the opinions so that it's not, um, you know, it, 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 it's not, um, sort of just something that's clipped and, and, and shortened, but, I'll just say the situation I don't think has been handled correctly. Um, I think some of the statements that were made after, you know, after the announcement were a bit misleading. For example, mm. Greenwood saying he's been cleared of all charges. That, that's not how the law works. He wasn't cleared. The charges Correct. were dropped. There, there's a big difference between, you know, the two. Um, for United to still have him as a player, I think is, is questionable. Um, but yeah, from my perspective, that, that's all I'm going to say on the situation for mm. this podcast. If, if you want to hear my thoughts on it, you can always reach out to me, um, on social media or wherever. Um, I, I don't know if you want to speak anything on that. Don't feel pressure to speak about it. And, and then we can go on to the fixture. No, mate, I, I completely agree with you. I think a lot of people, you know, obviously you have the idea of innocent till proven guilty, but, you know, we've all heard the evidence ourselves. We can all make our own minds up, but, I think, like you say, people are getting muddled up with the idea that he's not being cleared of all charges. He, there just wasn't sufficient evidence. The witness obviously pulled out of the investigation. Um, he hasn't been proved of anything. He's not been proved guilty or innocent. But, I mean, you know, let's be fair. We, Like you said, we've all heard the evidence. We all sort of know what's going on. 
Um, it just hasn't been proven in the court of law, which, you know, law's not perfect. It's very difficult to prove these sorts of things, especially if the witness doesn't want to go ahead with the proceedings, uh, you know, whether she's been paid off or whether anything like that's happened, impossible to say. And I wouldn't want to say it anyway. Um, but I think United have handled this incredibly poorly. Um, I think it took them months into the investigation for them to even consult the women's team on this matter, which was completely an oversight. I can't understand why you would do that. Uh, and there was no feasible way, even if he was completely innocent, that he would be, ever be able to play in front of Old Trafford ever, ever again. So the fact it's taken them this long to make a decision on it, I think they've just shot themselves in the foot. And it's just, yeah, it's definitely left a sour taste, I think, in a lot of Man United fans' mouths and, you know, even the, uh, the, the club's mouths. But hopefully they can just focus on the football, which is, of course, what we all want to do uh, as football fans. It's, it's very tough and difficult when these sort of things get brought into football. But, you know, these are people, these are human beings, and it has to be looked at. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I think it's, it's equally important to, you know, when, when there is space for it and to, to actually discuss these things, um, rather than necessarily, you know, sweeping them under the carpet, which is what we've yeah. done a lot in, in football industry. Um, and just the last thing on this is those people that are trying to point score, um, in terms of their own club saying, Oh, we would mm. never and stuff like that. It really pisses me off because Basically, every club has skeletons in their closet. Um, oh, totally. And there's a lot of stuff that happens at football clubs that isn't privy to, you know, fans in general. So don't try point score. Your club's not perfect. Um, you just hope that the situation doesn't happen. And, you know, you, you, you send best wishes to any, any victims in situations like that. Um, but let's move on to the fixture. Man United versus Nottingham Forest. I think this is a very interesting game because Man United, yes, they got the win against Wolves, weren't too impressive. Then they had the Tottenham game, weren't impressive as well. They're coming to Old Trafford under a lot of pressure, I feel. And mm. it seems to me, and, and many have suggested that Ten Hag has basically employed the same football as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did. Um, he came in the first couple of weeks, he tried to play a bit more of an, an an attacking style of football, he saw quickly that it wasn't going to work and he reverted back to this counter-attacking football. And that's what we've seen from United, you know, for, for the best part of Ten Hag's tenure there. But the issue for me is in this game at Old Trafford, I think the crowd's going to pressure them to play a more possession-based, dominant style of football. And that could play into the hands of Nottingham Forest because we've seen how dangerous Nottingham Forest can be. They've got... um Owen in there. He's got eight goals in six games. Um, he's looking good. And last season he had an injury and, and it wasn't really spoken about. And you could see as soon as he came back from injury, he started scoring again and Nottingham Forest were kind of fine and, and stayed up. So I think this could be a banana skin game for Man United. I've gone with a 2-1 Nottingham Forest win just wow. because I think Man United aren't going to play the style of football that is actually going to benefit them, which is allowing the other team to have the ball and then running into the spaces with the likes of Anthony and um, Rashford running into space. Uh, Bruno Fernandes is phenomenal in transition football. He can Mm -hmm. ping passes. He can drive with the ball. Mason Mount, he loves that style of football, end-to-end, box-to-box type football. When these players are now being asked to play in tight spaces, having to pass and, 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 and break down a team... I don't know if Man United can do that necessarily. And for Nottingham Forest, there's no pressure in this game. 
They just get to sit back and try and break on Man United time and time again on the counter-attack. You know Elanga's going to be up for this one, uh, and he's probably going to get the rest of the team up for this one. I think there's going to be an upset here. Yeah, I mean, I can see why you think that, mate. I mean, like I said, when watching them uh, against Wolves, if Wolves have someone who could finish their dinner, then, you know, we'd be talking about a very different result. And like you say, Nottingham Forest certainly have that in Awani. I mean, I think he's absolutely brilliant. Um, Forest have had a pretty tough start to the season, I think, as well. Uh, obviously starting off against the, you know, runners up in Arsenal. Um, yeah, I think they've had a pretty tough start to the season. But with United, I just think, I, I can't understand why with Rashford scoring so many goals and playing so well on the left-hand side last season, I know it's due to an injury, but why have they reverted to putting him in the centre of the field again? He just doesn't work for him at all. I, I can't understand why having scored so many goals last season, being the main man, getting his career back on track last year, why they would continue to play him because at the end of the day if he's your main goal threat surely you'd want to play him in his preferred position you know yeah you lump someone up top who doesn't really know that position very well and maybe doesn't play very well at all but surely that's better than playing someone on the left who just doesn't have the same output as Rashford yeah I mean they could start, they could put anyone up there in my eye they put literally any single person up there they put Maguire up there for all I care at least you've got you know that your left winger is in Rashford is going to play well and have a good output why would you want to have two players play mediocrely in their preferred position than have one player play very well in their preferred position and one play a little bit, you know, crap in their not-so-preferred position. That just makes absolutely no sense to me. So will we see Rashford come onto the left-hand side this game after two games going back in the centre of the pitch? That could, you know, create a lot of um, a different outcome in this game. But like you said, Forest will have happy days. You know, if they have to be compact and sit behind the ball, they'll enjoy that. They play on the counter. That plays right into their hands. If Man United are forced to play this sexy build from the back possession football, are they going to be able to do it? Have they got, like you say, the right players to go into those tight spaces and do that? And they don't have that big striker to run off either who's going to win those knockdowns. Um, and if they're playing off the counter, Forest are not going to be that naive. You know, They're not going to commit too many bodies forward because they know they only need pretty much their front three to go forward and maybe Morgan Gibbs-White to go forward to be able to you know, create that that one goal that they need. But for me, again, Forrest last year didn't score more than one goal on a numerous occasions. Uh, I don't think they've done so yet this season either. So I do, in my head, think, is that still going to be an issue for them? You know, And if they get that first goal, are they just going to sit back and allow Man United to pressure onto them? In which case, you know, you're at Old Trafford. Sometimes they'll always find a way, wouldn't they? They're just that sort of football inside. So um, I'm going on the flip side and I'm saying it's a 2-1 to United because... You know, you look at the Everton sort of standpoint of, oh, if we lose three games in a row, we're relegation candidates. If you, you know, have done a lacklustre performance against Wolves and just scraped a victory and then basically got rolled over by Spurs and then get rolled over by Forest in your own sort of backyard, you know, questions of fingers are going to get pointed and suddenly you're not going to be this team that's expected to do so well. And obviously, again, you're going to get the Mount costs so-and-so money. He's terrible. Uh, oh, you know, Martinez costs so-and-so money. He's terrible. Oh, no, no, oh, what a waste, you know. It's going to keep heaping onto them. So I think they just have to win and they always seem to find a way to win. So uh, for me, I'm going 2-1 to United. Interesting stuff. We'll, we'll face off on that one and see how it goes. Now, obviously, the next game you are going to have both eyes on um, and the whole of the UK should have all their eyes on it because it's going to be on Sky Sports. Um, it's at 5.30, the, the late kickoff, Brighton versus West Ham. 
no, no eyes on that one. <laughs> and, and I know you, you, you're sensing a conspiracy at the moment because you, you mentioned before we started recording how executive producer Guy Drinker always seems to put you on the rotor for games when Brighton and West Ham are playing. But before we get into that, obviously I mentioned this game is on Sky Sports. Guys, um, this podcast is presented by EPRindex.com in association with Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. You can check out their services at libertyshield.com. If you guys uh, want to save, you can save with the coupon code EPL25. It will get you 25% off of your router or software VPN. Especially a virtual private network. It's a technology that allows you to stay safe online by encrypting your internet traffic to protect your online identity. It hides your IP address and shields your online data from third parties. You guys can change your location, thus allowing you to access content from all over the world. And you can avoid geoblocks and government imposed restrictions to access any website. It's a fantastic tool to make sure that you're keeping your online data safe. You can watch if you want to turn Netflix in the US. We know how Netflix sometimes is geocoded. Um, if you want to watch certain movies that are on the Netflix bouquet, uh, in the US, you can just switch your location to the US and, and you got that going for you. Obviously for me, the big interest is NFL season coming up soon. I've got my NFL draft coming up soon as well. I want to be able to watch those games. I just have Liberty Shield that takes care of all of that. Finally, guys, also go check out EPL Index Shop. You can find it on Etsy. If you use the coupon code EPL10, you get 10% off at checkout. Now, let, let's get back into this conspiracy theory, and, and you mm. can take the lead on this game. Brighton versus West Ham um, should be tasty. Well, I think, like I said, I've, I've done a lot of these games uh, controversially or coincidentally on this podcast, and I think I always lead with the stat that we've never beaten Brighton in the Premier League, oh. which is incredible to still be the case when they've been in the league for, what, like seven seasons now, yeah. close to that? Um, I think in 14 appearances, we just we haven't beaten them. And even when we've had a run where we've been fourth in the league, where we've got European football, you know, we still haven't managed to beat, I don't want to say it, but little old Brighton, because that is, you know, kind of what they've been. But, you know, you can't look at them like that anymore. They're an absolute powerhouse. They're top of the league, rightfully so. They play brilliant, brilliant football. Um, I did kind of wonder whether Deserby had put his own spin on the, the pot of ball that was being played. You know, was it just a case of we're just going to rinse and repeat and then that wasn't going to be sort of, you know, the longevity wasn't going to be in that because it's essentially another ma- another manager's kind of blueprint. But he seems to have put his own standpoint on it. And, you know, no matter how many players they seem to lose, I mean, they lost McAllister, they've got Incencio, and Ciso, I believe his name is, who was already at the club beforehand, who's already coming up and basically a replacement. Evan Ferguson, I think, is a revelation. I can't understand why he's not playing for them. He would do rings around our defenders uh obviously Matoma is probably one of the most informed players in the world at the moment uh they play really exciting counter-attacking football they also just play really well with possession transitionally they're flawless defensively they don't concede too many goals um yeah it's, it's looking difficult for me to kind of big West Ham up in this one but I mean everything you could possibly point to just insists on it being a Brighton win and I think that's probably what it's going to be um, from the West Ham point of view, we've lost to Gerd on a red card. He's very pivotal to us. Obviously, we literally just signed, like I said, uh, Mavropanos. He'll probably come straight into the side. Will Alvarez start over Suchek? Will Fornau start over Ben Rama? You know, all these different questions. I think they're irrele- relevant, really, to talk about. We're going to sit back. We're going to try and lump the ball up to, up to Antonio. It's not really going to work. It never works. 
Brighton have enough defenders to stick on him. And then when you look at the flip side, when Brighton do have the ball, they're a side that, you know, if you do want to allow them the ball, if you do want to allow them to play their game and break down opponents, they will do that too. They have that ability to break down opponents and, and score these amazing goals. So um, I'm probably not going to speak too much more on this one because it is depressing to think about so early in the season. Uh, but I think after we've, you know, we've got four points on the board, there's no disrespect in losing to Brighton. Uh, and I think we'll all try and make a good go of it. But I think it's going to be 3-1 to Brighton, potentially more. Yeah, 3-1. I've got 3-1 to Brighton as well. Um, who's your fastest player in your team? For um, Whoever that is, just put them, let them stand next to James Milner the whole game. And then your game plan should be get the ball to Ward Prowse, let him pick his head up and ping a ball behind James Milner. And your fastest player runs away from James Milner and tries well, to score a goal. That's our issue, mate. Is I don't think many people would outpace James Milner on our side. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like we just we we really really lack pace. And and even when we have players who do have pace, they're so reluctant to go forward because, like I say, we lump this ball up to Antonio, or we we try and play on the wing, or just put the ball into the midfield, and it feels like everyone goes, "Wait, hold on a second. Everyone just move up a little bit. Everyone just drag yourselves forward." There's no kind of urgency where it's like bloody hell we've got the ball and it's a three on two let's just you know bomb forward and see what happens it never happens you know we, we always want to play this possession based football with no possession which makes zero sense we always want to play this counter-attacking football with zero pace and zero sort of drive which again makes zero sense so how we score these goals is going to be beyond me but like you say there are weaknesses in Brighton squad and hopefully more as we look into you know put a number of them but essentially the game plan will be Let's win a free kick. We have James Ward-Prowse. You know, let's win a corner. We have James Ward-Prowse. And I'm I'm not too against that, to be honest, as our, as our game plan, because I, I failed to see how else we're going to beat Brighton. But to be fair, um, West Ham have been one of the more inventive teams when it comes to set pieces before Ward-Prowse mm. came anyway. So I think yeah. it, it is definitely a dangerous weapon for you guys to have. But let's think, let, let's talk about a team that isn't afraid to to bring some bodies forward on the counter-attack. Certainly their new signing in Diaby, who's looking really, really good. And as we continue the quasi-FPL podcast that we have going on here, he's certainly someone I want in my team, but I don't have space for. So if you guys yeah. have space for a player, he's 6.5. He, he looks really, really good um, supporting Ollie Watkins there. But they in, they obviously go to Burnley. We haven't seen Burnley since the first opening game against Man City, which is always a tough game to judge what team you are. Um, like Luton, I have worries about match fitness, but obviously, uh, Vincent Company had them back really early in preseason. So maybe they were slightly ahead of other teams in terms of match fitness. We'll see whether or not that helps them out. Uh, I'm still not sure what Burnley are in terms of how much of last season's championship winning team they can bring into this season in terms of style in the Premier League and how much it works so based on that uncertainty based on them not playing last week based on me being impressed with Diaby and and someone Ollie Watkins as well I'm gonna go with the 1-0 Aston Villa win but I'm not too confident about that prediction yeah I think to be fair Burnley have had a very tough start to the season they haven't played in game week two it would have been nice if they played a team like Luton and maybe picked up a little bit of momentum through that because you know no disrespect to Luton but I feel like Burnley would probably win that one and you know they they faced last year's champions and it has made them look maybe a little bit you know not at the level they need to be at um, they've obviously made 10 signings this season but they haven't managed to replace all of the low knees that they had last season who were so pivotal to them so this is going to be a really interesting game in the sense that 
are we going to see the Burnley we used to in the Premier League that sits back and doesn't want to attack a lot and, and you know just kind of plays more cautious football? Or are we going to see company try and emulate what he did in the Championship and just go goals, goals, goals? But then can he do that having had these low knees not come back, having had probably a weaker squad now than he's had in the Championship in my eyes? Um, maybe, maybe in different areas they've improved, but I think overall they had the same squad they had in the Championship and then added a few more names, they would actually have quite a good squad. But I think Company's an exciting manager. He'll be keen to put a stamp on the Premier League season. Uh, I don't think it's going to come against Villa, though, because they just look so sharp and so good under Unai Emery. Yes, they've suffered a few uh, injuries, but, I mean, their midfield has, has gone up levels. Uh, a play, having a player like Diaby is incredible. You know, he's so quick. He's just he's so inventive as well. Um, they're getting goals from all over the pitch as well. It's not like it's just one focal point. Um, you talk about FPL. I was so disappointed to see that four goals go through against Everton and Watkins <laughs> yeah. basically was involved in none of them. And I'm sitting there like, you know, what, what is what is going on here? But, you know, I think Aston Villa have a lot to play for this season, whether their game will drop when they go into the Conference League. And I think realistically they have to win the Conference League. I mean, they they probably got a better squad this year than West Ham did when they won it. So I just I fail to see how they won't be able to win it this year. Um, and I think they'll try and make another point against Burnley. Um, and I think they're going to win it 2-0. 2-0 there um, to Aston Villa. Let's move on to Sheffield United entertaining Man City. I I, I don't Oof. mean to be disrespectful to Sheffield United, but when you're a team coming up into the Premier League, I think you cir- circle certain games and you say, these are the games we're going to target. We have to win them to stay up. This is our journey to 40 points, that magical 40 points. This is not one of those games. Um, it's one of the games where you look at and you're hoping that you're able to control the goal difference a bit here because that could come damaging towards the end of the season. You don't want to get beat, you know, five, six, seven or whatever. Um, I'm worried for Sheffield United in this game. I think they're facing a very angry Holland who hasn't scored in one game, which is just ridiculous. Um, horrendous for him. City should just probably right drop down. him. Um, he's clearly, he's clearly washed. He's a one season wonder. Um, <laughs> look, I've, I've gone four nil city. Uh, I'm not even going to beat wow. around the bush here. I just think Haaland's going to be angry and city are going to be looking to cause the, um, Sheffield United a lot of problems. I think the movement of the city players is going to be too much for the Sheffield team. Yeah. I think a lot of what Man City season is this season is maybe not having it as the Haaland show, you know, bringing players like Foden, and Alvarez, and again, you know, trying to cope with the loss of De Bruyne, I think a lot of players are going to step up. The signing of Jeremy Doku, I think, is incredible for them. Uh, he's a player that I watched in the Euros before last, before the you know Italian one, um, and I thought that is a top talent. Him and Chiesa, top top talents, are, and I couldn't understand how a top team hadn't come in for him. But with them signing him, I think they're going to be incredible. Um, you know, do you think they've they've weakened over this transfer window? You know, they're going to lose Jao Cancelo. They've lost Mares, they've lost Gundogan. They haven't really replaced him too much. Uh, they haven't managed to find a replacement for De Bruyne, obviously, with uh, Paqueta deal falling through. Um, do you think they've actually weakened this transfer window? You know, or they, have they actually managed to you know, strengthen? I know they've signed like Gavardio as well, who's a top talent, but that's the thing for me. I think the Gavardio signing just about keeps them floating in terms of whether yeah. or not they've 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 dropped off because I think their defense is just so good this year. I think it's going to be really hard for teams to score against them this season because they've they've basically got everything covered with that. Yeah. Because Guardiola is just a beast. 
he's he comes in and he's automatically one of the best defenders in the league and it's not okay. fair for a team that's already that good i mean it's it, you know they 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 put their money where their mouth is they go and they they get these deals done um as you say with doku as well it just adds another element into their team. Yes, they lose the likes of Gundogan who have been so crucial and maybe the new leaders need to come and step up in that team. But equally, some of their young players like Foden, who last season didn't really get the opportunities that probably he would get any other team in, mm. in world football. And we saw a glimpse of that in their last game. Foden's going to be really key for them. And I think he can deliver. He's shown he can deliver. It just seems Pep always puts a handbrake on him, not maybe to overplay him or something. But with De Bruyne not there, they're going to need him. And I think they're going to be fine. Um, yeah, I, I I think they're going to be just fine. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that worries me a little bit is that Man City have played uh, in so many competitions, have played at the elite level, very little rotation. I mean, Pep didn't even make a sub in his last uh, game. I wonder at what point are we going to see more players come down with these injuries? You know, John Stones, Kevin De Bruyne, all like, already injured this season. At what point are we going to see the city's incredible levels of fitness drop? You know, are we going to, is this finally the season where we see this team, which essentially is just, you know, majestic? You know, there's, there's, you can't really find a chink in their armor. Are we finally going to see them maybe look a bit more human and find a weak spot? Because they're dropping players like flies and they just can't keep up the fitness levels of playing in four competitions all the time. I mean, Rodri alluded to the fact that if he has to play that many games this season, he simply won't be able to do it. So I do wonder maybe if this season we'll see like a drop off. Uh, I think we did see it maybe towards the start of last season, which is why it took them so long to catch up against Arsenal. But yeah, against Sheffield, I mean, early on the season, they've got the numbers. You know, you mentioned Youngs stepping up. Cole Palmer, again, he's somebody that you might insist on getting more of a chance. Alvarez as well, I think, is a top talent and he will we'll see more of him this season. Uh, Phillips maybe gets loaned out but or maybe he gets a chance as well. Uh, I'm not going as harsh as 4-0, but I'm going for a 3-0 uh, Manchester City win. Uh, but I do think Sheffield, unfortunately, just have no chance against the monster that is Manchester City. Yeah, and look, Sheffield shouldn't be disheartened by this game. Just focus on the games you need to get the points on to get that magical 40, I think, is the recipe for them. Um, mm. Let's move on to the last game of the weekend. I, I believe this game is on Sunday, 4.30. Newcastle versus Liverpool. I want to hear your thoughts on it first, and, and then I'll, I'll jump in. Yeah, so I think Newcastle, uh, I was worried that maybe they wouldn't pick up where they left, left off last season, uh, but it looks like they have. I think Harvey Barnes, really smart signing, having Isaac start the season. I mean, he's some talent he is. He's, he's got all the physicality and strength of a six foot two striker, but he has this sort of way of driving with the ball and the ball at his feet that you almost think he's like five foot eight, you know, five foot nine. He's, he's your complete striker. And, you know, they also got someone like Callum Wilson waiting on the wings who, Again, I think it's completely brilliant. They've signed Tonali, which is an absolute coup, a majestic signing to improve their already amazing mid, uh, midfield. They've still kept their defensively sound defence. Um, you know, will will they be able to compete against teams like Liverpool, who have strengthened in the areas they need to, like Chelsea, like Spurs? You know, it's, it's going to be way more competitive this season to keep up the levels, but... Um, I think they do still look the real deal. I mean, to take apart Unai Emery's side the way they did at the start of the season, absolutely incredible. On the Liverpool standpoint, uh, I think Schlobberslai is a brilliant signing. He's going to add more uh, attacking threat from your midfield. 
Uh, I was sad to see you guys didn't get Lavia because I think that would have completed the puzzle for you. You know, I think you need that CDM who's going to give you that assurance at the back. Um, Alexander Arnold obviously getting injured. I'm not sure when he's coming back or what sort of, you know, whether he's back already or what sort of injury he's picked up. But that's a little bit of a worry for you, I think. Um, and, you know, I don't know if we're going to see the Liverpool who are challenging for titles come back this season necessarily. Uh, but I think definitely a top four shout is, is in is in the sort of mitts. But where Liverpool was such a hard place to come to, let's say a year ago, it seems like Newcastle have emulated that. You know, they've got such a fortress at St. James's Park. They play so well there. They have the fans completely behind them, you know, at a club where a few years ago they were calling for managers to be sacked, for owners to be sacked, you know, hating the football, hating the way things are being played, you know, clowning on the players. Now it feels like they've got a true togetherness and St. James's Park is going to be a really tough place to play at this year. And I think Liverpool will find that when they play them this Sunday. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with a lot that of what you've said. I I think the 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 ceiling at the moment as as Liverpool have their their team and, and the way it's built at the moment is a top four challenge. I don't think they're title contenders. They're missing a defensive midfielder. I think they're missing a left centre back to come in and and take the position that Robertson's been playing. Um, yeah. to sort of sit a bit deeper to allow the rest of the team to go forward. I think Robertson just shoots forward way too much and, and it's causing a liability for the team at the moment. Um, I'm not confident in this game at all. I, I think Newcastle win this one 3-1 and purely because I just think they're way more balanced than Liverpool are. Um, and, and it, I think it was the theme of the podcast last week. I think the title was balance, balance, balance is these teams like the Brightons and the Brentfords and the Newcastles that are building teams that are so well balanced. You don't have to have the best player in each position if you've got mm. the balance right in the team. And Newcastle's balance, especially in midfield, I think is going to be too much for Liverpool. Um, I think the good thing for Liverpool is the McAllister red card has been recent. Um, it's the, the appeal was successful. So he's going to be available for that game. Um, I don't think they're going to sign anyone in time for that game to play that defensive midfielder role. Whether Endo plays it um, will be interesting. Klopp usually doesn't throw players into the limelight straight away. Um, it was kind of necessity in the last game when, when we got the red card. But it might be desperate times. He might have to play that defensive player that just is able to have a defensive mindset in the game. Because if he doesn't, um, I think Liverpool are going to be in serious trouble in this game, which is why I've predicted 3-1. Because I think mm. Liverpool are going to be too attacking and they're going to be exposed defensively. Um, yeah, disappointed as a Liverpool fan heading into this season. I think it's another wasted season of, you know, the prime years of the Salas and, and Van Dijk trying, looking like he's getting back to, I, I don't know if he'll ever get back to 18, 19 Van Dijk, but getting back to a really good level. Um, mm. Yeah, it's just... Uh, it's very, very frustrating that they haven't done enough so far to to make them title contenders, especially, as you say, when there could be question marks about City and whether or not they can mount another title challenge. I think if anyone's done anything to be ready if City slip up, it's Arsenal this season. And then the rest of the league is trying to play catch up. Um, obviously, Chelsea are trying to, but I, I don't know if I, I think too much change as well can 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 be an issue for teams. I don't know if they're going to be title contenders, but yeah, disappointing. And I think this is sort of the game that encapsulate the two summers 
what mm. Newcastle have done to complement their squad, what Liverpool have done to sort of leave themselves short, I think comes up in this game. Liverpool get exposed from a defensive shape standpoint and it's a 3-1 win to Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's quite easy. Like, I mean, I would do it myself as a West Ham fan to look at your transfer window and be upset. But I think if you look at the squad you built, you know, and the midfield you had last year compared to this year, you've got McAllister and Schlobberstein in the midfield. Um, Thiago as well potentially can come in. Uh, having Diaz as well, hopefully fit and playing every single game with Salah. Uh, having Gakpo or Nunes. I mean, I think I don't think you guys are going to go in for a striker, so that would be brilliant. Um, and then obviously your back line has its question marks, but you've arguably got one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Um, Canate and Van Dijk is not a centre-back partnership to sniff at. So if you sign yourselves a, def- a decent, you know, CDM, I think you're not too far off from competing at the levels you need to compete at. I mean, you look at the players that have come in this season and also last season, they've gone for that bedding in period. You know, Will Nunes fire on all cylinders this season and play the way he needs to play. He was definitely better towards the end of back, uh, the back end of last season. Um, will Gakpo come in and take the position he needs to take? Will Klopp find the right balance? Because obviously in the past, he's gone for the kind of inside forward feel and his number, his striker's kind of been more of a, more of like a, a number 10 that drops deep as opposed to an out and out striker. You're having to adapt to that by bringing in someone like Nunes, you know, so it is a big transitional period for you. Um, and obviously the levels that you had in the previous seasons are just so far off it, whether that's because you've won the title and it's not as much drive or, you know, God knows what it is. Obviously, Van Dyke having the injury has not helped at all. But I don't think you guys will be in trouble. I think you guys could easily mount a, a top four finish. Uh, Europa League as well. I, you know, fail to see who's going to be able to overturn you guys in that if you're playing the way that you have done in, in previous years. But like you say, Newcastle have that balance and that's something that you guys lack. You need that one player who's going to keep it all together allow Alexander-Arnold to do what he does forward, allow Robertson to make the runs he wants to make, um, facilitate the idea of, of how Nunes wants to play and Salah and all that. I, I think you're a striker and a CDM away from having that balance in the team. You know what I mean? So I don't think it's as bleak as that, uh, but I, I am going also for a Newcastle victory, like you say, because of that balance. And, you know, Newcastle would just say, if we get our foot on the ball and let them chase us around, eventually we're going to be able to pick them apart and find that gap in behind and find that high line that Liverpool love to play and be able to get a player like Isaac through or Harvey Barnes through. So, yeah, I'm going for a 2-1 to Newcastle there. Interesting stuff. The the interesting thing in this game, we we started the podcast talking about the yellow card situation and how quick fire those have been. In the two games that Liverpool played Newcastle last season, it was a tactic of Newcastle to waste as much time as they could, keep the ball out of play. I think it was one of the lowest ever recorded minutes where the ball was in play in that game. Mm. Whether or not the refs allow it in, you know, obviously we've seen this season, they usually aren't allowing it. I think if the Liverpool players are smart, that's something they got to have their captain talking to the ref about at all times. Um, because it will be interesting to see if Newcastle do that again. But again, with the signings they've made Newcastle, I don't think they necessarily need to do that this time around, but that's yeah. going to do it for another episode of a tab predictable. Riley, do you have anything you want to plug, put over or promote before you wrap up? Well, of course, you know, we talked a lot about West Ham uh, during this podcast. You know, being a West Ham fan myself, you can find me on the West Ham way. I do articles for them. Of course, I do daily videos on the YouTube channel as well. And of course, if you go over to my Twitter, at Finchy Riley on Twitter, you'll find various stuff that I do on there and uh, just various stuff that I chat about as well on Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter. So, Awesome stuff. Thank you. Uh, guys, from my end, go and check out all the content on EPL Index website. 
Um, of course, there's the daily podcast show, the Two Footer Podcast with Dave Hendrick, where he discusses the hottest topics in football during the week. Uh, you can also go check out the flagship show that runs weekly. It's the EPL Roundtable, where Kev DeVries sits down with panelists from respective EPL teams. They do reviewings and previewings around the EPL. We sort of start the week and they end the week with their podcast coming out usually on Sundays. Go and follow the show's Twitter page at a tad predictable. Go and follow at EPL Index on Twitter. Subscribe to EPL Index on your podcast channels. Uh, give us five stars, write positive comments. That stuff really does help us out. Same thing goes for the West Ham way and, and all of the YouTube content that they produce. Go like them, go subscribe, um, go write comments on, on, on their pages. That stuff would be really appreciated. I've been Tadiwa Chinakira. You can find me on my Twitter handle at tadpredicts. Huge thank you to Obi Semenya. He's at John Empire SA and Jody McKenna. She's at Spursy141 for our guest intros. Our producer behind the glass, uh, and the conspiracy theorist Guy Drinkle. He's at Guy Drinkle on Twitter. He's been Riley Finch at Finchy Riley on Twitter. And remember, Chisinga Perry, Gino Shura. Social Podcast Network.